Welcome to Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. I'm your host, Damali Peterman. On this podcast, we invite you to share a conflict that you need help navigating, and I, along with a guest co-host, will share what we would do in that situation to help you reach your breakthrough. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, I am so thrilled to have Hugh LaRoche in the studio. Hugh, welcome to the show. How you doing, Damale? I'm fantastic. It's so great to see you. It's amazing. You and I met because I was a summer associate. I was in law school, and I had the pleasure and honor of being interviewed by your amazing wife. And she went on to be a mentor and now one of my best friends and the best part of having Crystal in my life is having a brother who is so incredible as you are. <laughs> well, I thank you. You know you're like a sister to me. Thank you. So tell us more about yourself, Hugh. Sure. So currently, I'm the VP of product for a company called Trinet. Uh, we provide an HR outsourced solution for small to mid-sized companies. I manage the financial services division. So all your friends that work at hedge funds, private equity shops, and, and VC shops, they basically work for me. Excellent. Um, <laughs> prior, prior to Trinet, I spent some time in a company called Ambrose, which was acquired by Trinet. I worked a few years on Wall Street as an investment banker. And, you know, went to the, the Wharton School. I'm proud of my MBA from there. And, of course, Cornell University undergrad, Go Big Red. Go Big Red. Well, you've done it all from Wall Street to having all the uh, hedge fund guys work for you. That's pretty <laughs> pretty phenomenal, Hugh. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, you can simply call our hotline to leave a message asking a question that you're contemplating. And it doesn't have to be a conflict. It could be anything that's going on for you. And maybe you want to hear from someone who's not invested in the outcome. It can also be a conflict and you just need help navigating it. Whatever the case is, for the first time on the air with a co-host, we will play the message and give you some feedback as to what we would do in that situation. So what are you waiting for? Pick up the phone and leave us a message. So Hugh, without further ado, how about we play the first message? Let's do it. You have you one, have message. one message. Hi, Damali. How are you? My name is John, and I have a question regarding scholarship and athletic programs. Um, I wanted to see you. What is your input on, say, a, a kid getting a full scholarship to school and, you know, everything is paid for, but instead the kid outgrown the sport? I wonder, what do you, what do you think about that? So should the kid take the scholarship or should the kid follow what he feels and just go on with school and just see and try to get scholarship from there? Um, thanks. Hope to hear back from you. Bye. That's a great question. That is a fantastic question from a, a student in a college athletics program. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you, Hugh? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, I should have mentioned this, I do have a daughter in college right now, so I think about those co that college tuition. <laughs> I think about the return on investment. And, and I think it is a challenge. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I know a lot of students go into college athletics with without the the goal of being professionally athletic it's something that you just do to enjoy your time while you're in college um, but I think th this is a really big challenge because depending on the person's financial situation I think that's really what it comes down to if they are fortunate enough that they can come out of college without any student loans without any debt 
that is, I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do coming out of college. So for me, if I was, if I were in that situation, I had the opportunity to participate and pay for school, I would look at it as a work study at worst. Um, and then who knows, maybe I might have a little fun along the way, but coming out of undergrad with little to no student loans, that's the win. And that's a game changer, right? Because what, six months after you graduate, unless you go on to another, to enroll in another school, uh, the loans that were deferred for six months are now starting to become due. And so I agree with you. It's funny that you said you would treat it like a work study. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I was thinking, that sounds like a job. (laughs) How many of us have taken jobs that we didn't quite love, but we had to take them to pay bills or to handle our financial responsibilities? And so it sounds like there was some sport that you loved at some point or enjoyed enough so, and you were so good at it that a school gave you an athletic scholarship for it. So let's first pause and say kudos to you. Good for you. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty. That that's is talent. a yes talent. You've got talent. Um, we don't even know you and you <laughs> you've got talent. Um but what it sounds like is that, you know, at some point I'm assuming you're not a freshman anymore, right? So at some point through the term of your athletic career, you're now trying to decide whether you want to continue taking the athletic scholarship. The one that's I think that that's where this uh, person is. I think the one challenge would be dependent on if this now ac- this athletic endeavor is starting to interfere mm-hmm. in your academic pursuits. So if it's gotten to the point where okay, I've been doing this for a year or two, and now my three point five is looking more like a two point five, then I think that there's a certain level of reassessment. Uh, otherwise, if you can balance it out, I think it's a work study. Absolutely. And, and, you know, these athletic programs, the kids work really hard. You know, they're training in the off season, they're getting up early in the morning, they're working late. And so I can see how it could interfere, not just your academic life, but your personal life. That's right. Because you have to make a choice. It's clearly a sacrifice for you to be on a team and not knowing what the sport is. They could be traveling. You know, I That's think right. most college sports, you're, you have some travel schedule. And so you really do have to give up a lot. And so I, I think first, for most people, college is typically a finite period of time. We aren't sure where you are in that journey, in that path, on that path. Uh, perhaps it's you're in year two or year three or who knows, hopefully you're four. And so that's something I would consider too. Like how much longer can you put up with this job, this work study that you have? (laughs) Right, Hugh? That's right. You can almost do anything for a short period of time. Right. (laughs) I could stand on my head for 12 weeks if I had to. (laughs) And so, you know, you said that you want to just do what you feel is right. Um, I would want to know what do you think is right? You know, it, it's it's always so wonderful when we get these calls because people come call in and they have these great questions. But sometimes I want to have a little bit more insight as right. to what it is the and follow what up are question. you. Yeah, yeah, I wish I could. We could have maybe in the future we'll have like a a live caller and we can have that back and forth. Um, but with this format, we have to make some assumptions about you. And I think just just given the fact that you've called into the show, is you're really thinking about this. Yeah. And the first thing that Hugh said is absolutely right. The financial part of it is key. Um, scholarships can really be a game changer during your time at school and post-graduation with respect to what you have to pay back. And that's right. And what you have to pay back often can drive what you end up actually doing, whether it's something you think you may not want to do this sport now, 
But two, three years from now, do you want to take on this particular job, this particular company, or are you forced to because that has the best return? So it is it is a balancing act. I would love to have some follow-up, uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, this person is clearly thoughtful um, and is really weighing all the options, and hopefully we've given him some en- enough sort of meat to chew on. I agree. And so, caller, do us a favor, John. Please call us back. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know how things are going. Uh, we'd love to hear what you decided to do. And we also like to just know, like, you know, how we can continue to provide some insight because you seem like you have a promising future. Let's listen to the second message. You have, you one, have message. one message. Hello, this is Dwight. Um, I was wondering how much passion do you have to have to start a nonprofit organization? Thank you. Well, Hugh, I know as a lawyer, I've started many nonprofit organizations, but you've recently started a nonprofit that you are working in. Is that right? There's a couple of nonprofits that I'm involved in. I'm on the board for a nonprofit called the New York Peace Institute. I am currently the vice chair. Um, I also work through my fraternity, Cap Alpha Psi. We've set up a nonprofit that um, it works on scholarships for um, college students. And so... There was in, – in launching that arm of the of our nonprofit was a significant challenge. It is work. It is – I think one of the misconceptions about nonprofits in general is that they are somehow this different type of company, this different type of business. I'd like to share the difference between a nonprofit and a for-profit company is simply that at the end of the year, you don't distribute dividends i.e. any money that's made by the nonprofit is either re- is, is recycled back towards the, the nonprofit or is part of the, the, the giving and donations of that organization. There is no profit associated with it. But the running of the business, the launching, the incorporation, the management, all of that takes real work. And so to Dwight's question about how passionate you have to be, I would suggest you be extremely passionate about what it is that you're doing um, as far as a nonprofit goes. Don't look at it as a side thing I'll just throw into the mix, so to speak. Take it as seriously as you possibly can because there are so many great nonprofits out there doing great things. And I I want to just reemphasize just how much work the people that work there, the people work, the people that support those type of organizations, the amount of work they put into it, they are labors of love. It's so true. And I'm so happy that you provided that distinction between a for-profit and a non-profit and that you highlighted that the same amount of work goes into making it run and to making it successful. I think sometimes people think that nonprofits are like, oh, you know, there's a nonprofit organization, so they don't need X, Y, and Z. No, they need all of those things, the same things that for-profit businesses need. They need great talent. They need great leadership. They need committed people. And if they have a purpose, meaning they have a charitable purpose, but they're trying to benefit greater society. I think that it's important to outline that from the onset and think about what they need to help them grow and to continue to be successful. For as far as passion, 
I think I would want to know what kind of nonprofit you're trying to start. Because if you're doing something that you're passionate about, uh, query whether you know you want to take the nonprofit route or the for-profit route. What is the reason that you chose nonprofit? Is it because you're trying to appeal to a certain audience? Is it because you want to then take the nonprofit to the next level and obtain federal tax exempt status or state tax exempt status? Um, I would just want to know why you chose the nonprofit designation. That's right. That, that's a great point, Damali. You know, the why should drive why we do things and, and really not just why, but how we end up going about it, whether or not we go the nonprofit or for-profit route. You know, one of the things I was thinking when Dwight was asking this question was, well, what's the goal? What, what's, what's his, his, what we call BHAG? Big, hairy, audacious goal. Love it. And I have uh, a buddy of mine who works very closely with a nonprofit uh, around homelessness. And, and he stated, my goal is to go out of business. Like, you want to go out of business? <laughs> That's right. I, but I will go out of business once every single person has a place to sleep at night and not in the street and not homeless. And I thought it was such a strong, compelling thought that, that you have this BHAG that is so far out of reach, but that's what drives him. So that's the question. You know, why nonprofit, but just in general, what is driving you? What is your end goal? And that goal will help you determine whether or not you go for profit, nonprofit, uh, and, and really how much energy you need as a consequence. And therefore, I guess to answer the question, how much passion you need in order to be really involved. Yeah, and I mean, I love that. BHAG, say it again, Hugh. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Dwight, what is your big, hairy, audacious goal? I know for you, Hugh, you mentioned two nonprofits, one that you're the vice chair of, the other one you are... I'm the executive director. Okay, so you're, you're doing your leadership positions in both nonprofits, so you're doing a lot of work. It is a lot of work. <laughs> What's your big, hairy, audacious goal? Because <laughs> oh. you mentioned too, you're in, you're in an executive position at your company, and so you're, it seems like you're doing a lot of amazing things. I, listen, I appreciate that. The, I guess the question, and, and again, trying to get to Dwight, my what is it that drives me? Yes. What is it that you know gets me up every morning? It's knowing that I can make a difference in people's lives. Whether it's my, you know, for-profit company with, with, with Trinet, the difference we're making with the organizations we work with, the nonprofits I, I work with, raising money to have scholarships for students of color at a school like Cornell, where the disparity in income is so, is still so significant. With, with the New York Peace Institute having an impact on how police interact with, 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 you know, communities of color. I mean, all those things make a difference. And I'm just trying to do my small part in each one of them. And each one of them takes a lot of energy. And believe me, you know, it's nice to have these fancy titles, executive director and vice chair, but there are a lot of people who put in a lot more energy than I do in, in, in you know, various um, endeavors, and they put and they don't necessarily have those titles, but their passion, and their energy, and their effort—you need all of that in order to be successful. One thousand percent. And what I love that you did, Hugh, is you told us what your B hack was. And you also recognize the people who keep the machines running. And so we see that you're very passionate about that. And so it sounds like, Dwight, to answer your question, 
you wanted to know how much passion does, does one have to have to start a nonprofit organization, and I'm going to pitch it to you, Hugh. If you had to quantify that passion, what percentage would you give it? 100%. Excellent. It can't be a notion. It can't just be an idea. In order for it to really be something that you execute on it, the level of commitment you have to have is 100%. The belief, the commitment, the follow-through – you need all of that. You heard it here, Dwight. So you need to have a you need to be passionate and have at least a hundred percent passion <laughs> at allocated. Least. At least a hundred percent. That's where we're starting here, is with a hundred percent. Well, hopefully that was helpful, Dwight. We are really curious to know what you're passionate about and what your nonprofit idea is. Hopefully you'll let us know. You'll follow up with us and tell us that you've launched this idea. And who knows, maybe you can be the executive director there one day. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop it, Damali. In no spare time. In the no spare time that you have. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank the audience for tuning in today. And I really want to thank our callers, Dwight and John, for asking such wonderful, poignant questions. And for you, Hugh LaRoche, you have been just a phenomenal co-host. And I'm so delighted to have you in the studio today. Anytime. Thank you, Damali. Keep doing what you do. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day. Do you have any barriers that we can help you break through? If so, you can leave a brief message at 646-363-6322 or on our interactive blog at www.breakthroughadr.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at the at sign B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H capital A capital D capital R. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Although I am a lawyer, mediator, and an educator, and many of my co-hosts will represent various professions, we want to be clear that we are not providing legal advice, counseling, or suggestions. Our goal is to provide a roadmap for conflict resolution to generate future conflict resolvers. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day.